Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today we are interviewing a massage therapist and an author and a dad and all sorts of other things, uh, Victor Arteaga. Hello. Hello. And we are specifically interviewing Victor about stress and then massage therapy as a, as a component of where stress can go. So Victor, uh, do you want to say anything else about yourself before we start? Um, well, I guess I should just give a little bit of background. Uh, yeah, sure. I've been I've been doing massage for uh, eleven years now, and I have specialized mostly in treating chronic pain uh, and acute uh, sports injuries, as well as surgery recovery and oh, wow. car accident stuff. So my whole career in healthcare has been about treating all variations of stress. So this is a super apropos conversation to have. And then uh, I've got two kids. I started writing when I got sober uh, four years ago. And so that's been a journey. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And that's, so, a, that's about it. Thank you. What is stress? Can you sort of describe the concept to us as you understand it as a massage therapist? So the way that I was taught about what stress is, uh, is that it's a reaction to something that uh, is a stressful situation, right? Like Back before technology, it was, you know, some kind of predator was jumping out of the bush that cause a bunch of cascading effects in your body. And then you would run away and then the stress would go away. That's the most basic explanation of stress that I can think of. So do you have any thoughts about why we're stressed or why more people are stressed these days than it seems like they were before, or it just seems to be more common? Yeah. So the stress response <laughs> really was only ever meant to be kind of a life and death situation. So you mm-hmm. would have an event and then that event would be resolved and then you would move on and then the stress hormones would be filtered out of your body. What we are seeing now is that we have a lot of stressors and they're just kind of constant. And so it, the stress response never really gets a chance to turn off. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where it, it seems to have gone now. So instead of it being like, a, oh, shit, I'm going to die. Uh, it is, okay, I have to have this low level of stress throughout the entire day because X, Y, or Z thing is causing me stress. And then you go to sleep stressed, you wake up stressed, you go to work stressed, you with the kids stressed. And then it's just kind of like this constant, ever-present thing now. I, I, I feel like it's like background radiation, like it's always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that didn't used to be a thing. I mean, I think I haven't really done any research on it, but just, you know, anecdotal evidence has been over the last 15-ish or so years, stress has just kind of become more and more and more of a part of our lives uh, just because I feel like things are a little bit harder to get done now than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And then the advent of social media basically brings stress to you. And then at the same time, it's pinging a lot of the pleasure centers of your brain mm-hmm. so that you kind of get like this double whammy of you get hit with stress and then you get hit with something else that causes you to keep looking at your phone and then you can't really stop. And so my job as a massage therapist is trying to manage at the very least the physiological effects that stress has on the body. Can you, so can you sort of outline for us, what does stress actually do to the body and to, to the mind? Cause it's, I mean, the body and the mind are kind of the same thing, but also we think of them as separate. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so on a physical level, what stress will do is it'll release a number of different uh, hormones to your body, uh, chief among them being cortisol and cortisol brings blood to away from your internal organs and, and it pumps more to your large muscle groups so that you can uh, get away from that rampaging bear or, um, or fight off you know, a mountain lion or something. Um, and you also get adrenaline that gets released and a couple of other neurotransmitters that get released. So you kind of get hit both in your mind and in your body at the same time. Um, and then more specifically to your mind, what happens is you enter 
what we call the fight, flight, or freeze response, which most people just know as fight or flight. And so uh, the reason that that happens is because it also draws blood away from certain parts of your brain and then moves it to the other part that controls just kind of like that raw instinct and emotion. So your logic gets shut off and then you're just kind of ruled by that reptile brain, so to speak. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, for survival, not for day-to-day right. functionality. <laughs> right. right. And that's, um, and then there's a book out called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers that talks about how disease has shifted uh, thanks to that constant uh, application of stress. And it's a really interesting book. Uh, What's it called? Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that title. That's an excellent yeah. title. It's a really You've engaging- read it? No. Uh, oh. <laughs> I am not good at reading uh, nonfiction, so I couldn't get much further than uh, that first chapter, but it was really interesting. And uh, even just that first chapter is chock full of information about how stress more or less wreaks havoc on our bodies and that we should redefine disease for the modern age. So do you think that's why we want to relieve stress and tension is it's because it just builds up in our system? Yeah, it's not meant to be there long term, right? Yeah. So in massage school, we're taught as the most important thing is homeostasis. Um, and I don't know how well versed you guys are on that word, but largely what it means is that your body will always seek some sort of balance. And so that you're kind of just where you're supposed to be and stress and cortisol and the high levels of adrenaline and norepinephrine, all those kinds of things um, are not supposed to be this elevated for this long, right? Because mm-hmm. the other thing that happens to your body when you get stressed is that your immune system gets kicked into overdrive at, overdrive at the same time. Because in case you do get mauled by a bear, your body wants to be primed to combat any infection that might come in through there. So that you also see what will after a long period of time of being stressed, and I'm sure you've noticed this as well in yourselves, is that when you spend so much time being so stressed, you get sick really easy. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's because your immune system has basically been on overdrive, and you get and you hit a wall of fatigue, and then you can't fight off whatever minor thing you would have been able to originally. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. So that's, in a nutshell, what happens to your body. It's a very large nutshell, but... <laughs> okay it's a coconut <laughs> it's a coconut yeah i like that how so how would massage be useful in this sort of miserable so, wicked world that we- <laughs> <laughs> it's a bleak outlook um but what massage does is more intrinsically tied to what touch does so what touch will do uh in most typically functioning people is it will release what's called oxytocin. So, uh, which is kind of that it counteracts cortisol and it get, it's that feel good hormone that you get. Like if you get a hug from somebody that you really like, uh, or that you care about, right. You're going to feel better. That's oxytocin mostly doing the work. Um, and so the way that massage therapists, um, especially early on when we're learning is we just learn to use, touch to kind of get that oxytocin going and also switch us out of two different system uh, nervous system responses. So that's parasympathetic nervous system is what's responsible for uh, maintaining our rest and digest functions. So Mm -hmm. things like um, sleep, when we sleep, we're engaged in our parasympathetic system, parasympathetic nervous system. And then the sympathetic nervous system is the one responsible for the stress response. And so what we do is use our touch to get us out of the fight or flight and put us back into rest and digest by using kind of like slow uh, strokes and just kind of gentle pressure or really heavy pressure, depending on the person. I'm the kind of massage therapist that's going to dig really deep. And I have had patients with me putting all 170 pounds plus whatever I can push through into their back and then they just pass out. Oh, oh yeah, you're you're one of my favorites then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like it's it's so bizarre to me because I like I'm a power lifter. I can put a good amount of pressure into what I'm doing. And then when people just fall asleep and then they're just like snoring and out, it's just it's so strange. But people respond to massage in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> so that um so and then to take it into more advanced level, what we do, well, what I will do then is start addressing certain pockets of the body where people tend to hold more of their stress, right? Uh, most people 
will tell me, oh, I carry my stress in my shoulders or my neck, right? Or they carry it in their back. Uh, and so the, I employ a lot of different techniques to kind of address those sections of muscle to relax that section so that they can then kind of like unclench, so to speak, um, on top of doing everything else, like just doing the regular massage strokes to get people comfortable and feeling good and get that oxytocin flowing and get that cortisol level to dip low and go back to where it's supposed to be. All right. So what ways have you seen personally um, in massage therapy? Has it benefited your clients? Like if you have long-term clients? Well, uh, interestingly, I have seen um, many of most of my clients get a wide array of benefit out of the work that I do. So awesome. uh, it's not just stress relief for a lot mm-hmm. of people. I am kind of like, I have a background in doing uh, food service. So I've, I've been a bartender mm-hmm. and the, the fun crossover between massage and bartending is that people treat me like their makeshift therapist. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, on, and, and I think the biggest reason why that is, is that there is an inherent amount of trust that's required for massage therapy to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when people trust you, they talk to you. So on top of getting their bodies sorted out, getting, you know, the physiological responses to stress to decrease, they also will start kind of uh, unloading their minds as well. So you kind of get like this double whammy of stress relief. And then when it comes to the more specific work that I do, which is with injury treatment, um, I will have people that have had a chronic back pain, for example, for the last, we'll say six months. Um, and they've tried everything. They've tried pills. They've tried hot, you know, hot baths or Epsom salt or yoga or what have you. And then they get no relief and they're just kind of super upset. And they're in this level of discomfort for so long that their psyche starts to take a really big hit. And so I have had it happen numerous times where they'll come in. Um, they won't even mention their back because they figure it's a lost cause at this point. They're just going to be miserable forever. But I find something and I work on it and I get their back pain to go away. And when they get up off the table, everything that they thought was bad in their life is suddenly hopeful. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's pretty shocking how that cascades into the rest of their life, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I couldn't tell you the number of people that come to see me for back pain or just for a stress relief to be quiet for an hour. Um, and then they keep coming back and then they start telling me about what's going on in their lives and how, you know, everything from the way that they perform in their sport to the way that they can focus better at work to the way that they can engage with their family in a more complete way and more present way because they're not focused on the pain is is really quite shocking wow yeah that i need to make my husband go get a massage (laughs) he's got connective tissue issues Mm -hmm. and so he has constant pain Mm -hmm. and uh it's funny he can tell when he's in a really bad mood just because of his back yeah and which is nice because he'll warn us and he'll be like, you know, I can't talk to you right now. I need to stretch out my back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a real thing. I mean, it, it's wild pain and has just this is just super insidious, especially when it's not like, you know, you, I, you didn't get stabbed in the stomach. Right. But you've got this nagging ache or even just a sharp pinching somewhere that just won't go away. And it's mm-hmm. like this. Oh, it's the worst. I injured my knee playing soccer, and that I don't I don't know if my mental health has really been that low since I was drinking. Oh it's, wow! Wow! Yeah, it like that constant level of pain and not being able to do things that you know you can do mm-hmm. is is crippling, and it's really difficult to be aware of that. So kudos, by the way, to your husband for being oh, yeah. able to recognize that because most people don't. Most people are just short and angry and unhappy and they may intrinsically know, but they're not as aware of why they might be feeling these kinds of things because they just think, well, pain is pain. I'll just deal with it. But what they don't realize is that it's really affecting every part of their life. And so that's why I am one of those people who says that massage is a necessity disguised as a luxury. 
Oh, definitely. Right? Because then you, you, if you get regular massages, you're going to treat your body better. It's going to feel better. It's going to heal. It's going to recover. Maybe for some people, you might not get rid of all of the pain. But for people with uh, fibromyalgia, for example, you can mm. diminish that pain drastically. Mm. Right? And it can be life-altering for some people. Well, and even, even just knowing that you can do something about it is a big deal for a lot of people. Right. Uh, so, yeah, massage is, is kind of one of those things that I fell into accidentally, but has been one of, it has been the most rewarding thing that I've done for my career. Nice. I started getting massages for stress relief, actually, and it made a world of difference just to go somewhere and be quiet and just only focus on myself and the other person there just trying to help me kind of release stress because I have a pinched nerve in um, one of my shoulders and Mm -hmm. it's made a huge difference in my life. It's really helped my anxiety. So yeah, I can totally see that. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, that's just amazing. I, Mm -hmm. the funny thing about it is that I never got a massage until I went to massage school. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was completely new to this whole concept of massage in general uh, for a long time. And, you know, it's kind of, it's just been really trippy realizing that there's this whole other world underneath everything that I previously thought was it. So with, as a massage therapist, what tools, and it could be, it could be physical objects, but it could also be just like ways of doing things. What tools do you utilize in your work? So many. So the most basic tool that I use is just uh, my knowledge of anatomy. So in school, you go through every muscle in the body. You learn where it starts, where it ends, what it does, what other muscles work with it. Uh, And that is probably the one thing that I use most consistently, more than anything else. Because once I know how something works, then I can more easily figure out why it's not working or what might be causing some discomfort. Um, And then, um, so specifically the kinds of massage uh, techniques that I use uh, kind of run the gamut uh, in terms of more traditional style of massage, like Swedish massage, which is that long, kind of slow, light strokes uh, to get uh, blood moving and the lymphatic system going, uh, and then kind of more deeper targeted pressure uh, like if I find a spot and you tell me, oh my gosh, I feel that in my head, then I'll just kind of hold it there. And then I'll go through the cycle of techniques um, to get that section to release. Uh, I use pretty much every part of my arms from the elbow down. So I'll use my fingertips, I'll use my knuckles, I'll use my palm, I'll use the back of my fingers, I'll use my forearm and elbows. Um, and then there are some therapists who use actual tools to save those parts of their bodies because it takes a toll on you after a while. Oh yeah, I bet. Right. So there's a number of things that they can do. And then I use uh, my knowledge of athletics, of weightlifting, um, and general movement knowledge to help empower people to take care of themselves at home because there's only so much I can do in an hour to two hours and right. you know, the rest of it needs to be done at home. So every massage therapist, well, I won't say every, but most massage therapists will give you some homework to do at home. Most of the time, like if you go to a massage envy, they'll just give you, Oh, well, stretch your neck, you know, for five minutes every other day and you'll be good. I am like, <laughs> <laughs> they just tell me to drink water whenever I'm in the air. That's technically, that technically counts. And they're right. You should drink water. Um, She's got water in front of her. (laughs) (laughs) It's super important actually, because if you don't drink water, fun fact, you will, well, you could feel almost like you get a head cold afterwards because your lymphatic system is like super clogged up and is trying to process a lot of stuff that we just pushed around your body. And so if you don't drink a lot of water to try and help your body go through that process a little faster than it usually does, and you can get kind of like this backup. Interesting. Yeah. So in case you were wondering why they tell you to drink water, now you know. 
Uh, um, I didn't know. I was wondering. I was like, oh, okay. You're like, I'm not thirsty. <laughs> I, why? I always drink water. So okay. <laughs> I mean, there's literally a Twitter where the tweets are just like reminders to stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I also think that we as a society are chronically underhydrated, but that's a different conversation. So technically, massage therapists can't prescribe. So I am not supposed to tell people that, oh, you should go home and do these three exercises for this set of reps and sets. Um, but I can say, so... There's this YouTube video that I saw of this one exercise, and I think you might want to watch it. Um, so that's another tool that I use to help people kind of get better uh, and manage the stress. And then um, my affable personality. <laughs> uh, I am unfortunately one of those people that tends to talk too much. And so some clients don't really respond that well to it, and they just tell me, you know, if they come back to see me, uh, they'll say something like, I just want you to shut up for an hour <laughs> and say nothing. And then I'm just like, okay. But more often than not, I, I spend a lot of my time talking and connecting with my clients uh, and or patients because we use that the term more or less interchangeably. You'll hear patient more often in kind of a more clinical setting and then you hear client in uh, like a more spa relaxation kind of getaway setting. Because I find that a lot of people, especially really, really busy professionals, have a hard time keeping and making uh, personal connections. And mm -hmm. so I, I feel that that is an equally important part of my job is to try and help people connect with me. And that's why I have clients that have followed me for, well, the entirety of my career. You know, they refuse to see anyone else other than me. And they, they've been seeing me since I got out of massage school, you know. Yeah, on top of that, I, I'm constantly learning new ways on how to treat things. Um, I use a lot of stretching, a lot of the body's own mechanisms to, to treat, uh, like a tight hamstring, for example. Um, there's what's called the contract relax, which, which is when you want something to stretch out, I will stretch it all the way to its max, and then I'll ask you to flex that muscle. And then I'll have you hold it for a few seconds and then tell you to let go. And then you'll be able to stretch it even further. So I use that response. I need you to come here. <laughs> <laughs> there's also, there, there's a number of ways that you can kind of trick the body to do what you want it to do. And mm -hmm. that, that, that is mostly what massage is. I'd say that's about 90% of what it is. Cause even just that pressure is uh, like, you know, just holding a muscle and putting pressure on it for a set amount of time is mostly just kind of having a tug of war with the proprioceptors in that mm -hmm. muscle. And um, proprioceptors are these uh, structures within the muscle that tells it how tight to be and how far to stretch. And, and we really just, that's all we do. We play with proprioception day in and day out. And it's really fun. And it, some techniques work better with others, right? For Like for you, it might just be contract relax doesn't do anything. So I would mm -hmm. then try something called... Um, Reciprocal inhibition. I had to think about that one for a second. <laughs> uh, where uh, the opposite muscle that you're flexing needs to relax in order for that joint to move, right? So oh. if if you if you if you're doing a curl, you're engaging your bicep, and then your tricep is relaxing to let your your elbow bend. And so I'll do the same thing. So if I want your quads to relax, right, then I'll just have you flex your hamstring, and then stretch it at the same time. And then I will also just use kind of a combination of all of these things. And then there is a technique that I use called active release technique, uh, which is kind of combines everything all together. So I will find a muscle, start where I put my hand where it starts, and then have you kind of move along that plane of movement while also stretching the muscle with my hand in that direction to try and get it to let go. It, there's a lot of stuff I do. And... Some of it, it's hard for me to explain because I invented it. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, most massage therapists have their own particular style. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You'll never get the same massage from the same person, from different people, sorry. Because even if you're at a spa and 
a lot of spas, especially hotels, will do this where they have you do a set routine for the whole body. You can have a person do every single move the way that you want them to do, and it's going to feel different from person to person because we all do things differently, right? Everyone has a different writing style. Everyone has a different speaking style. All massage therapists have a different treatment style. Um, and everyone's and body is different too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I have never given the same massage twice. Mm-hmm. In 11 years and thousands of massages. And you can, it's impossible, right? So what do you know about the origins of massage as a tool to relieve stress, particularly? I think um, on a primitive level, we have used massage to relieve stress since our common ancestor. More as a structured form of medicine, I think the earliest evidence that we have of people using massage in a medical sense was in China, uh, I think maybe like 2000 BC. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't quote me on that one. Well, I know I'm it's sure. really old. It's super tool. old. Yeah. Super, super old. For healthcare. And I would, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we've been using it as a form of medicine for longer than that. It's probably that that's just like the first actual recorded, structured massage technique that was used to treat certain things that mm-hmm. we have. So what's involved in becoming a massage therapist? Like, how did you become a massage therapist? Um, so I got involved in massage therapy literally on a whim. Uh, I was working. Oh, awesome. in rest- yeah, I was working in restaurants. I hated it and I wanted to do something else. And my coworker pointed to a table and said, that's my massage therapist over there. And I said, well, good for him. <laughs> and she goes, well, he makes $120 an hour. Oh. Right. Then I thought I should look into that <laughs> <laughs> because that just seemed like a much better option than, you know, slinging food and drinks for the rest of my life. And so I did. And then I asked a bunch of people, you know, do you think I should be a massage therapist? Every single person said, yes, absolutely. You should definitely be a massage therapist. And at the time, I understood it to mean that they thought I would be a good massage therapist. But the truth of it is, they just want a friend who's a massage therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and earlier when when we, when, sorry to interrupt you, when we were talking to you, you talked about being involved in soccer, being a power mm-hmm. lifter, being in martial arts, mm-hmm. and just doing positive affirmations as well. It just seems like it's a really good fit for you, honestly. It really turned out to be that way. Yeah, I had no mm-hmm. idea at the time. You know, I, I when I got into massage therapy, you know, I was in the early stages of my alcoholism, so I wasn't even really thinking that holistically. Wow. I just wanted to do something different. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I hated serving tables. Uh, I hated my job. I was really unhappy just in general. And so I just kind of got into it. And, and so the actual process of being a massage therapist was um, in Washington state, you have to get a certain amount of education hours in as well as practical learning. So you work in a student clinic and it's like an unpaid internship basically for the school much in the same way you like you can go to a dental school and get dental work done from students Mm -hmm. same thing with massage therapy Uh, that will vary from state to state i know when i was going to school in in 2007 that california had little to no regulation of massage therapy i think i think back then it was you needed an entertainer's license Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So wait a minute. You know, uh, entertainment licenses are a way around a lot of inspections and Mm -hmm. continuing education requirements. In North Carolina, if you, if you are a club, you can, and and this is mostly for strip clubs, but it's used by, uh, it's used by nail spas and stuff too. If you are a club, you can serve food and drink in reusable glasses, like washable glasses without being inspected by the health department. Oh, this is why some places when I get my nails done, they charge me a dollar to join the club. Yep. Oh. Oh. That's crazy. (laughs) And I would bet that strip clubs factor into that California massage nonsense too. Probably. I mean, the, the unfortunate thing about massage therapy is that it 
it, it makes it really easy to run human trafficking rings out of. Um, yep. In Washington State, there's almost a raid every year on one strip of a highway near Seattle that I will not mention. But you'll always read into the news that, oh, this human trafficking ring was broken up and, you know, they use a massage parlor as a front. <clears throat> Which is really unfortunate because we have been, since about the 70s, been working really, really hard to be taken more seriously as a healthcare profession. And we've gained a lot of ground, especially in the last decade, where now insurance companies are covering uh, massage therapy. Car insurance companies will pay for massage therapy up until you hit your you know, personal injury claim uh, out of pocket or right. coverage max, right? Wow. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And it can be prescribed now by doctors, which is really cool. <laughs> crime is crime. Crime's going to crime. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's been really cool to see it be more a, a much more uh, mainstream kind of way of treating certain things as opposed to, you know, prescribing prescription medication for pain. Uh, and that's a thing that I, I also will say is another side benefit to using massage therapy is that you can wean yourself off of painkillers because we're starting to find that, I think it was the American Massage Therapy Association ran a number of studies that found that uh, massage therapy was more effective for chronic pain than medication was. Get, cover more massages, cut down on opioid cases, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, so to get back to what's entitled or what's involved with getting, becoming a massage therapist in Washington State, you then after that have to take uh, a national certification exam as well as a jurisprudence exam for Washington State uh, on mm. ethics. And then you have to apply for a license through the Department of Health. And you have Mm. to renew it every year. And you have to submit evidence that you have taken continuing education credits uh, every two years. Oh, wow. What kind of continuing education do you take? So they actually have it broken down into specific kinds of uh, continuing education. So you have to take classes on ethics and you have to take uh, practical classes on technique. Oh, cool. Yeah kind of keep yourself sharp so to speak and then uh yeah once you are practicing you are required to also get professional liability insurance uh and then especially if you're well i should clarify if you're going to work for a clinic almost all of them will require you to have some form of liability insurance if like you're working out of your house you can keep your license and not be insured but then you know you take on 100% of the liability should something go wrong. Oh yeah, the, like the pool inspectors in this state have liability insurance. It's not a bad idea to have as a professional. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's not expensive either. I think, you know, mine is about a hundred bucks a year. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's what um, my husband does as a freelancer. I think mm-hmm. it's like maybe a hundred dollars a year, Yeah. if anything. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's about it. After, oh, but you used to have to take a practical exam in order to get your license, but that was before I became a massage therapist. So the the Washington State Department of Health would hold practical interviews, and a couple of my teachers actually used to administer those exams. And so you would have uh, students coming in and and giving massages to people who were contracted with the Department of Health. It sounds like a terrible exam to have to proctor Uh, (laughs) yeah i mean i used to go back to i used to go back to my old school and be a test body for students i don't do that anymore but uh one of my one of my instructors had a lot of really funny stories about how she would mess with the students who were coming in to take their state exams and i just thought that was mean (laughs) <laughs> what would she like put another hand inside of her hand or something? yeah or something like that like she or, or she would just put a hump on her back like a giant hump right or or she would just kind of say like they're not they weren't allowed to touch the therapists in any kind of form or way right so they would it was mostly just kind of like verbally trolling them <laughs> like, so mean right like they would do a t- they would do a stroke and then she would say is that really the one you want to do <gasps> <laughs> right or are you really gonna fold the sheet that way 
Oh I'm too much of a sass mouth. I would probably fail. I'd be like, well, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you, <laughs> which is actually what you should do, right? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that they would, what my teachers would uh, look when I was in school was doing things with intention, right? Like, don't be nervous. Don't come at something in a kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing here because then you're going to make your client uncomfortable, right? And so it was... A, it was a little bit of trolling, but also actual exam. Mm -hmm. Mostly trolling. <laughs> uh, and that, that was one that a lot of students struggle with is that kind of confidence in, in their intention, right? Because with some techniques or with some injuries, for example, like if you pull a groin muscle, you know, you're all up in their hip, right? Mm -hmm. Right in the front, right? That, that hip socket. And so if you're not going to convey that confidence in knowing that yes i'm going to work here yes i know there's some sensitive stuff just to the side of it but i'm not going to go there right then the client is going to feel much more confident in you that you know what you're doing and that what you're doing is purposeful and not just because you know for purient reasons so got kind of sidetracked there but it's cool <laughs> what do you uh, uh what do you wish people knew about massage or massage therapists that you sort of run into that people don't know uh that we don't find happy ending jokes funny i bet you don't yeah um <laughs> we don't find what happy ending jokes oh funny. my gosh yeah i get them of all the course time not i get them all the time but more seriously uh i wish that more people considered massage as part of a holistic health plan i want people to think of massage as an added section of their overall caretaking. Um, right now, I think most people see it just as kind of like an indulgence uh, with the exception of people who get massages every day. Even most of those people, some of those people just say, well, I'm privileged enough to be able to treat myself to a massage all the time. Right. Um, but I want it to be taken, uh, more as the same way that you would like going to a gym or holding a gym membership because you think it's important for your health to do so. Um, and most therapists that I know and have worked with fall in the same camp as I do. We care very deeply about your entire health. Uh, and I think most people just think massage therapy is just kind of like this fringe side thing that you kind of treat yourself to every once in a while. Uh, and that that's my biggest thing when I talk to people about massages I will I will speak for hours about the benefits that massage can do for people in every aspect of their lives and so many times I come across people that say I had no idea that massage could do those things you're, you're talking uh, to one of them now because that's right. what I've been thinking this whole time right Yay! yeah yeah and it because it, it really is just this it's it's an amazing thing that should be done more frequently um and I also want people to understand that if you are averse to touch, um, there are a lot of people who don't feel comfortable being touched by anybody. Um, that massage can and has been used to help ameliorate that um, reticence. So there is a section of massage where we work with um, sexual assault survivors in replacing that instinctive recoil to touch because of their experiences with bad touch to uh, one of a more healing kind of pleasant and good touch. Uh, and it's not really well known. Um, we also use massage to treat neglect cases in children and oh. because we found that touch starvation is a real tangible, measurable thing that harms a lot of people. Um, and I think that's also why a lot of people do seek out massage so often is because they are touch starved, right? That, that high powered executive who has no time for personal relationships gets a massage every week, every single week without missing it at all unless they're traveling. I had a client like that and he just, he just wanted that connection and I, he didn't really have a whole lot of people to just kind of get a hug from right so what is a massage if not at its most base level an hour-long hug right <clears throat> so <laughs> um that's something else that i think 
people should look to massages to try and kind of um, use it as a way to treat the, well, I'm not saying this very well. I want massage to be just as viable an option of self-care as going to a doctor for regular physicals. Nice. Makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think, I think that's it. I mean, I could also just keep going for like an, another hour about what I think people should think of massage, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's limited time on this podcast. So How, one thing that you had mentioned in our, our emails back and forth was how do you know if a massage therapist is a good one or a bad one? Ah, yes. I love this one. Okay. So because every person reacts to massage differently and every uh, massage therapist is different, it really is mostly trial and error. Um, the things that I would look out for aren't really even necessarily about massage technique because a good portion of a connection that a person makes to a massage therapist is not really driven by how good the work is. For example, I could do the most effective, technical, thought out, methodical massage to a person and then they'll come off the table and say that was the worst massage I've ever had. It's happened oh, to me no. <laughs> um, So the things that I would look out for in a good massage therapist is number one, the vibe is really important, um, which is intangible, but also really important. You need to be able to connect with your massage therapist. The other thing that I would watch out for is consistency. That's what was the word I was looking for. They're consistent in the way that they approach your body. So for example, they're not like working on your low back and then all of a sudden they're up by your right shoulder and then they jump to your calf, right? That's somebody who's like super frenetic and not paying at all attention to what they're doing. Um, so that's one thing to look out for is if they could continue and maintain their flow and focus. Uh, and then the other thing to watch out for is if they are uh, capable of receiving feedback and adjusting to that feedback. So mm. uh, a really good example um, is if someone is using too much pressure and you say, hey, that's a little too much pressure. Can you ease up, please? Uh, and then they do that. You would be surprised how often I have clients tell me that the last person that they saw never listened to a single thing that they said. It's so weird. Yeah, it'd be, it, it's very strange to me. Um, you can also hurt someone that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I had somebody tell me that they went to some, they were super wary of getting a massage and they hadn't for years because the last time they got a massage, um, the person that they had didn't listen to a single word that they said and then just kind of barreled through their tissue and that person was sore for like three weeks and could barely walk because their back was so inflamed right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's really bad. So we have to be able to respond and adjust to our, to your needs, right? And if someone is not paying attention to those needs, then you're going to have a bad time. And lastly, you want them to be knowledgeable. Uh, you want them to be able to explicitly tell you what they're doing and why they're doing it, right? So, you know, I'll have and I actually say that at the start of a massage with someone who I haven't seen before, I'll say, hey, just as an FYI, as I'm working and you have any questions, please feel free to ask me. I love to educate uh, my clients about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So if there's ever a doubt that, you know, what I'm doing doesn't feel right, please let me know. Uh, and people respond really well to that. Uh, and I think a lot of the times it helps kind of create that bridge of trust if it wasn't there before because they can then feel comfortable knowing that if they have a problem, that you're not going to buck against that, right? And then lastly, if they can have a really solid touch, right? Um, they can find that problem and then work on that problem in whatever way that they're good at. Uh, there's this thing where some people don't know how to find a knot in their client. This doesn't happen most frequently with most massage therapists that I've worked with, but I have had occasions where other people have told me that, oh yeah, you found that spot in a second. The last person I saw just roll, rolled right over and said that my back felt fine. And I'm like, how could they miss this? It's like, it's like, it's like you have a golf ball in your shoulder blade, right? Is that what it feels like? I've always been curious because I've had massage therapists tell me, oh yeah, I can 
you've got a lot of tension there. I can feel that. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> um, put a pencil under some silly putty. Oh. That's what it feels like. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, like you'll, and then roll your fingers over it, right? So you'll feel that kind of like soft, soft, soft. And then there's that hard spot that shouldn't be there, right? Hmm. And that's kind of what super tight muscles feel like under the skin. It's not exactly the same because muscle is softer than skin. But sometimes with people that are really, really bad, like they'll have a section of muscle fiber that's so tight, it just feels like steel cabling underneath, you know, under the skin. It's, it's, it's probably me. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people who work at a desk, that's what their necks feel like. So those are kind of the big, the most biggest telltale signs of whether or not you're dealing with somebody who is professional, right? Uh, there are people who have a really casual demeanor about them. You know, you can kind of envision, you know, like the bohemian dude walks in with like a, a knit shirt and baggy pants and it's like, hey man, how's it going? But their touch is really, really good. They listen to you, they respond to your feedback. They can also anticipate what you might need. Um, if you're the type to stay silent, right? Um, because I have gotten really good at being able to tell when the tissue is starting to kick back and I can kind of instinctively know when to ease off. Hmm. Uh, and that happens with experience more than anything else. It's kind of to the point now that I don't really, I haven't had to ask if pressure is okay just because I know how to work that line. And then I will check in if it's somebody new, maybe once or twice during a massage, just to, just to make sure that I'm feeling, that what I'm feeling is correct. And you should also have, if you want a good, a good massage therapist, we'll also do that too. They won't bug you like every five minutes, like, you know, a nervous first date. Are you okay? Right? <laughs> Waiter, oh do you need more water? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I was, um, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> Because, oh my gosh, I got a massage from a student once. Poor guy who was so nervous. He was working, it was like every maybe 45 seconds to a minute. <laughs> oh no. Just, and you just, just want to go, are you okay? <laughs> right. I, kinda, <laughs> I think I actually just told him, I was like, I'm fine. Just breathe. I'll let you know if you need to change. And he's like, okay. Is this okay? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. All right. And I don't want to say anything like, this is going on in your report card kind of thing, but it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then another thing that I want to let people know if they're going to get a massage and, you know, like, let's say you, for example, if you're going for your first massage, please communicate. We can only infer so much about what your body is doing, what your body is telling us, but you're the only one who feels what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of clients are really nervous about telling their therapist, oh, no, that's too much pressure. Or, oh, no, I would like more pressure, please. Or actually, can you go back to this other spot? Because I feel like it needs more attention, which segues into that other one about whether or not a massage therapist can respond to your feedback, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of a two-way street a little bit. And that's the best way to ensure that you have a massage that you're going to find satisfactory do you have an even mix of uh male female clients because i tend to prefer males just because i feel like they can put more pressure where mm -hmm. i need it i mean mm -hmm. uh, either that or larger women it seems like <laughs> um i'm just wondering if it makes a difference it does um i would say my clientele when i was working in a clinic was much more heavily skewed to having women on my table. Okay. For a number of reasons. A lot of men get really skittish about being touched by other men. Yeah. And so you'll all get a phone call or the clinic would get a phone call and say, oh, I, I specifically want a female massage therapist and you know, there's nothing I can really do about that. Yeah. But of the men that I do have on my table, most frequently they're really active people. Mm -hmm. super active people don't care whether you're, you're a male or female massage therapist. They just care if, if you can work the crap out of their body. Exactly. Um, and then, <laughs> and the, you know, the truth of it is a lot of guys 
know how to throw their weight around into a massage and you know get that super deep pressure but i will tell you the two deepest massages that i've ever had were from two asian women who weighed like 95 pounds hmm. and it was so I, well, I it's hard for me to describe just how agonizingly amazing it was <laughs> I, I i think i feel you yeah right like, like people who love super deep massages just I don't know, man. They knew. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they they knew how to really get in really deep and hurt you in the most glorious way. <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly I feel like what it is with when yeah. you do deep tissue stuff. Yeah, it hurts so good, right? Mm. Um, but the, yeah, more consistently, you'll find that um, because we just tend to weigh more, we can just lean into it a little bit more easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've, I've worked a lot of jobs that are mostly men doing the work mm-hmm. and I am roughly the size of a medium to large man. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been able to keep up all right, but uh-huh. it, it really does matter. Body weight can matter for pressure. Yeah, I mean, for all sorts of things, right? That's why we have weight classes and in, in, uh, weightlifting and in, mm-hmm. and in combat sports. But yeah, that's... Uh, I tend to prefer uh, massages from women, though, mm-hmm. uh, largely because I find that they can read my body more intuitively than a lot of men can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I am super tight. So a lot of the time, super deep pressure doesn't really feel that great to me, except for in this one spot on the right side of my low back. And I'm just like, if I could have, you know, Someone just set an anvil on my back. <laughs> <That'd be fantastic. laughs> and how, how old are your kids? Uh, two and... Seven. Two and seven. Do you ever mm. have the two-year-old walk on your back? No, but I should. Yeah, I used to have the little girl that I babysat. I used to have her walk on my back until she got enormous. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, Why can't I answer <laughs> <his> back? <laughs> <laughs> I had a... She thought it was great. She thought it was fun. Yeah, they they oh they love that. My kids mm. climb all over me as it is to begin with. So you know. Yeah, I tell myself, oh, this is like a massage when my kids climbing all over me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually think it is, but that's sort of my like. Well, this is right. as good as I'm going to get right now. So. All right. <laughs> um, oh, another thing that I think people should be aware of about massage is that you can introduce it as early as infancy. There's a lot of really great work that is done on infant massage and. I think I mentioned it before with uh, touch starvation and neglected kids, but even just, you know, healthy kids, uh, massage is fantastic. And we kind of do it instinctively, right? You pick them up, you rub them on the back. Um, oh, yeah. Right? So, <laughs> but uh, there is actual techniques and classes on how to give actual like infant massage. There's people who dedicate their entire careers to doing infant work. And there's also animal massage. I know there are dog massage therapists now too. Yes, yes, and horse massage therapists. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, I I imagine like racing horses have the most insane massage team ever. Well, I knew. Oh, sorry, God. One of my one of my classmates wanted to go into animal massage, and I had no idea again because I didn't even know massage was a thing until I went to school for it. Um, but she wanted to open up her, she just wanted to work on animals. She didn't really like people. <laughs> she, didn't, she did not enjoy massage school because she had to work so intimately with people. But you have to do it in order to be uh, an animal massage therapist. Well, I guess, yeah, the horses really can't give you a grade. Yeah. No, they really can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they kick you, that's probably enough. Yeah. Yeah, but you also probably kind of deserved it if they do kick you. Yeah. I'm just imagining someone massaging your goats. They would love it. Oh, man. They yeah, they so totally happy. do. <laughs> pets, pets fucking love me. Like, I bet they do. They, do, they really <laughs> do because my, uh, my mom has a new puppy and she doesn't like being pet, but she loves having her shoulders massaged. Aww. And so that's what I do. I, I come over and then she's just glued to my side until my daughter like yanks her away but yeah and cats too i miss my cat yeah, but yeah I think, I think a lot of people don't realize that most animals don't like being patted on the head right like dogs particularly don't like it no I they don't that. i mean it's a 
it is a uh, vulnerable spot, right? My Rottweiler, like she loved being beat on the head. Like you would just pat her head. Like she, you were dribbling a basketball and she loved it. That's the only dog I've ever known. <laughs> I think her brain was kind of scrambled anyway. So yeah. I, had her. <laughs> I, had a friend, I had a friend who had a boxer that loved it when you would stick your knuckle and rub it around inside of his ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had, I, I, most dogs I've known love that. It's super waxy. Ooh. Yeah, so they're, I think it's because when they're puppies, they're, the mama dog actually will clean their ears out. Aww. And I think it might kind of feel like that. I don't know. See, it's all about touch, man. Exactly. It is. All about touch. Well, and it, a lot of this that you've been talking about reminds me of the episode Sarah did on feral children. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what a hard time all these children had reintegrating into. Absolutely human society mm-hmm. and I'm sure touch was a big part of that like a loss of consistent positive touch being yeah uh, I, I I would bet money on it um, and most of them in the stories about them the actual cases that were confirmed that the ones that are still alive they all will tell you they don't like being around people and mm-hmm. they especially don't like being touched by people they prefer animals a lot of the time. And a lot of that is because like uh, two of the kids in the Ukraine, they were pretty much raised by dogs or like pretty much around dogs when they were, you know, before the age of three years old. Mm-hmm. I might have to listen to that episode. <laughs> it's got more positive endings for the feral children's stories than you would expect. Uh, yeah. A lot of them turn out kind of pretty okay. Yeah. Interesting. Was this inspired by Tarzan? No, not at all. No. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, I, I designed a t-shirt that said, uh, stay wild, moon child. And I was like, where do the feral children go? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny where inspiration comes from, right? Because for my book, I wrote it because a friend was like, hey, what would happen if you put a werewolf on the moon? And then, you know, I wind up with this crazy, ridiculous stories. Some yeah, so tell us about this book. I want to read it. Emily says it's amazing. So the, the question was, what happens if you put a werewolf on the moon? And what it kind of dovetailed into was this story about a woman and a group of rebel werewolves as they're kind of fighting for their place in the world um, after they've kind of been outed, so to speak. Um, by vampires and human beings. And so they're kind of public enemy number one and they're kind of being systematically persecuted through media and false narrative and manipulation. And so they're just kind of trying to fight back against that and then they wind up losing. And then the short story collection kind of is more of a micro view at some of the main characters that are in the book that I'll be releasing next year. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So the first one's called Blood Moon Trio. Uh, so no, that's, that's just the I was name wrong. Of, <laughs> you, and you were half right. I was half right. I'll okay. Yeah. Thanks. I, ri- <laughs> I originally called it the Blood Moon Trilogy, but then I wrote five short stories, and also going to be doing a Patreon web series and three books. So I feel like maybe it's more than just a trilogy. So I switched it up to call it the Blood Moon Saga. Um, oh, great! But, yeah, but that first collection of short stories is called the daybreaker archive so, so yeah rebel werewolves go to the moon sort of yeah that's where they go so rebel werewolves yeah that's a really simple version of it <laughs> well it's called where does it go <laughs> yes where do where do rebel werewolves go the moon the moon <laughs> yes, the moon. but not really by choice yeah i mean it's an underground city in the moon um, <gasps> cool yeah, and they, most of the werewolves who live there have given up kind of a, they had to give something up in order to receive a pardon for war crimes. And so they kind of live in this separate section of the city as second class citizens. And they're mostly, you know, people who work in the restaurants and the hotels and uh, all that other stuff. And they're really kind of ignored for the most part. Um, so yeah, 
I, I drew heavily on my experiences being, you know, Latino and uh, having gone through alcoholism and then just kind of really a lot of social commentary involved in this whole thing. I was about to ask if it was perhaps allegorical in some way. Well, yeah, and I'm, it's not a hidden allegory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly subtle about it. Um, but I'm also, I love that. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, I, but I do find that it is a lot easier for people to maybe chew on it a little bit more if it's not ex- directly saying in their face. Yeah, this is bad. It's more like, oh, these werewolves are treated really poorly because the ruling class of vampires and humans are way wealthier and they know how to manipulate people better. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a parallel, and it's also sixty years in the future. So right on. Really cool stuff. Um, and a really, really diverse cast of people. Yeah, I haven't finished the short story compilation yet, but it's, I really appreciate all the different characters that you have. And it's not just the same cast that anything that involves the supernatural and space has of like the cocky white guy, the exotic right. lady. Right. The white guy who's dumb and muscly right not white guy <laughs> the militant lady that might be a lesbian yeah it's never express, expressly said well the militant main character is explicitly a lesbian so oh good there you she go to be. <laughs> let's not dance around it no i don't i hate that whole i'm gonna dance around the idea of this person being you know a lesbian or gay or poly mm-hmm. right or non-binary you know mm-hmm. i have i'm just like no these people exist well, and they know who they are too. Right, exactly. And it's not because I don't really feel the need to just kind of go out of my way to be like, look, I have trot out X minority here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, they are these things and it has little bearing on what they do in the story, right? Mm-hmm. I just present them as human beings who are this way and then that's it. Because I, I kind of, you know, having been Latino and, and realizing that there's very little Latinx representation in sci-fi and fantasy in general, and even less so when it comes, you know, to the LGBTQ community, it's just, I wanted to kind of throw it all together, but not make it the point. Right. Yeah, like, these people exist and do things in their right. day-to-day life. right. Even and, if it's even if it's kind of werewolfy things, <laughs> right? It is, yeah. It's super werewolfy things, and I get to play around with you know characterization of what werewolves would be like, or what being a werewolf in terms of like having that animalistic trait, like uh, manifest in people in different ways. So it's kind of fun to play around with. I think that's the fun in like sci-fi and fantasy is that you can play like yeah. that. Definitely. It's the best part of sci-fi and fantasy. And also the biggest reason why I don't consume a whole lot of nonfiction, right? My, uh, you know, being an addict basically means that my brain is going at 5,000 miles a second on a constant basis. So, you know, it needs something to invent or something to imagine or something to play around with or think about or chew on. And I, I have a mm-hmm. hard time doing that with nonfiction because it's just kind of like presented to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's to- got to be stellar if it's... Right. And I've not, I mean, I have found that listening to nonfiction, you know, i.e. podcasts Mm -hmm. uh, and radio has been a much more effective way for me to consume nonfiction. And I actually really enjoy doing it that way now as opposed to, you know, picking up a book and trying to read it because I've tried so many times and so many different avenues to read nonfiction. Just can't, I, I can't get my head into it, but you put me on some exoplanet three galaxies away from here and i'm just like yes give this to me now (laughs) are you familiar with the great moon hoax i am not 19th century okay i'll send you a link the podcast stuff you missed in history class did a i think a two-parter on this massive hoax early or in the middle of the 19th century about there actually being living things on the moon see i thought you were going to start talking about people who didn't think the moon landing was fake no oh they don't think the moon is real (laughs) (laughs) my premiere i can't do it it. (laughs) it's a sticker it's a giant glow-in-the-dark sticker (laughs) i have spent 
I have lost a day and a half arguing with a flat earther before. I don't know if I can listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, I just made that up. This <laughs> the Green Moon hoax was just yellow journalism. It was it was really entertaining yellow journalism of okay. just true like actual fake news. So the the onion before the onion. Yeah, well, the guy. It's like it's like a War of the Worlds before War of the Worlds. Oh, okay, gotcha. All right, now I'm super interested. Yeah, I'll, we'll put it in our show notes if I even include this component in our podcast. <laughs> right. I think at this point we're just kind of shooting the shit now. Yeah. I, well, where does where where does Victor Artiaga go? Do you have a place where people can find your lovely lovely fiction stories? Oh yes, I have. Uh, you find my author page on Amazon or on Goodreads, awesome. um, and then or follow me on Twitter uh, at Blood Moon Trio. Um, and my Patreon, we'll be going live with a boatload of new content, um, but that will be a pinned tweet once I get there. Nice. Yeah, and we'll put we'll put links to your info in the show notes. And yeah. where does stress go? <sighs> stress, goes stress goes everywhere man it goes, it goes into your mind it goes into your muscles it goes uh and then uh i take it out nice excellent so are you like a freelance massage therapist or do yes. you okay cool yeah i i have my own practice that i run out of a chiropractor's office uh on saturdays and then i do home visits for a handful of clients over the weekend Awesome. Because uh, I spend money through Friday at home with the kiddos. Woo-hoo. Oh, awesome. Yay. Yeah. So it's, that's, that is what I do. That's and then I write, yeah. and then I write things, write lots and lots of things. Cause I'm also going to be doing a ton of other short stories along with the ones for the werewolves vampire thing on my Patreon. It's going to be fun. That's so great. Daybreaker Saga and you can be followed at Blood, Blood Moon Trio. Moon, yeah. Yep. On Twitter. Yep. Nice. And then, yep, find me on Goodreads. Or just look at the links to the show notes. Well, I'll put, yeah. it, I'll put it all there. <laughs> or yeah, or just follow the link. 